going to be uh, doing a bunch of different podcasts, looking at a lot of different um, avenues that I've been kind of collecting, things that I've been thinking about. And instead of just me talking about what I think, I figured, hey, why don't I have people joining me on the show? So today we're going to be talking about civic religion and joining me is Nick Krieger. So Nick, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So Nick, uh, before we dive into this topic of civic religion, why don't you let the audience know who you are, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Nick Krieger. Um, I have a Church of God background like Scott. Um, I am a uh, a Marengoite, you might say. I went to <laughs> Camp Marengo for many years, and uh, Scott was a staff member when I was a camper, and then I ended up being on staff. Um, so I met my spouse there, just like everyone else. Um, so yeah, I'm, I have a I have a pretty pretty considerably deep Church of God history, just with, within my um, within myself, I guess. I have a, actually a Catholic background, so I have a couple of different. Uh, worlds I draw from when I think about civic religion, but religion in general. So um, I uh, am a former youth pastor. I was the youth pastor at Park Place Church of God in Anderson, Indiana. Um, I was a youth pastor when I was going to seminary there uh, at Anderson University. I got a uh, the, their missions degree, missionary degree, Master of Arts in Intercultural Service. Um, nowadays, I am a data scientist at the Cleveland Clinic. I went back to school again. Um, got a a biostatistics degree. So I help with medical research, statistical stuff, but still always interested in uh, my faith. It's still very important to me. And um, I love to talk about it. All right. Thank you, Nick. So for someone who may be uh, listening to this podcast and they say, well, what's civic religion? Like, how would you define that? I guess for me, civic religion would be um, the intersection of, uh, religious ideas with being a citizen of an actual uh, state or a city or uh, a country, I guess. Um, that That's kind of one definition. Another definition may be um, the religion having to do with uh, such a state or, or a country, that kind of thing. So um, I know there's a, a few different places that are argu- arguably have a, a civic religion, and America is definitely one of them, where you have uh, sacred symbols having to do with the country, um, there's, you know, a, an origin story that's important. There's even sacred texts, that kind of thing. So, uh, those, those two, I think are what probably most people think of when they, when they say those, that, that phrase, I'm not sure what you think. Yeah. And I mean, I would agree with that. I think, you know, when I think of civic religion, I, I think I like the way that you say intersection Yeah, because a lot of times when, you know, when I think about my faith and even think about some of my views with, local state or even um federal politics you know there's a part of me that you know always is always there's i think there's always sometimes that wrestling in some ways where how much am i converging more of my faith and trying to think about my ideals and my beliefs yeah that are faith-based and then how do those intersect or how do those maybe not intersect at all with my political beliefs and right. I think um, so. I would I would agree with those definitions. Um, it's interesting when you talk about America and different symbols because it seems like a lot of times, especially you know, growing up in in the church, I've always heard people talk a little bit about you know America being founded on Christian values, Christian principles, and then you go to Anderson, which again. Um, you know, go to Anderson and sometimes it's like, oh, that's not entirely true. Um, You know, more of a deist type of uh, deist kind of religious views than um, what we would kind of term as Christian views. So when I, when I, so when I think about that, you know, how does civic religion, I guess, in a way plays in kind of everyday's lives or how does it play in your life when you're trying to navigate that intersection between faith and, you know, rules of states? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think awareness of the existence of civic religion is like the thing to think about the very first thing to think about when it, when it comes to that topic, because, um, certainly there'd be a lot of people, maybe even some listeners who have never even considered how, you know, politics or 
um, their, their status as a citizen of America or anywhere else, how, how that has to do with, you know, their religion. Um, and so I think you have uh, lots of people, I, I can really only speak for the American church. Um, mm-hmm. I think you have a lot of people in the American church who have never even considered that the two might not always uh, jive together, jive together. Um, mm-hmm. They might be at odds sometimes. Um, and then for, for those of us who are aware that, you know, there, there might be two different ideologies coming at you when you're thinking about your religion and your status as a citizen. Some people think they actually go together quite well. And some people uh, might, might not where, you know, you, I, I'm sure you've heard, you know, arguments that patriotism is, you know, dangerous for the church, or you've heard people say patriotism, you know, goes hand in hand with being a Christian if you're an American. So I think there's a lot of, you know, disagreement on that topic. Yeah, and I think and I think what the picture you kind of painted there I think is very good especially with awareness because you know there's a lot of times where I think you know and again like I can only speak for the American side of things cuz I really don't know too much about how religion and state issues or politics kind of intersect over in Kenya. I do know with my Hmm. sister-in-law who lives in Northern Ireland, you know, there is still kind of some of that tension between Northern Ireland and Ireland or the Protestants and Catholics over there. And I'm sure that kind of goes into play when it comes to, you know, any um, type of decisions that need to be made that would affect the rest of the country, even though Northern Ireland's technically part of the UK. So they're kind of like their own little party on that little section. A country Um, within the country. Yeah. But I think when it comes to like church and especially in that regard, you know, you, you mentioned how like, you know, some people like you mentioned the idea of patriotism. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes, you know, especially growing up in the church, you know, it seemed like, especially on holidays, it was like, well, we celebrate religious holidays. So like Christmas, you know, you decorate the church for the season, Easter, you decorate it for Easter. Um, Pentecost, not too much decorations for Pentecost. (laughs) Bummer. Um, But, but then when it comes to things like, Oh, 4th of July or Memorial day or veterans day, then those are like some big um, patriotic holidays where the church really um, not only as far as decorations kind of decorate things, but even when it comes to song choices, I think yes. there's one time I was at a church and when I was traveling or when I was, looking for a church. I think I traveled to a church and, you know, it would be very easy for people to sing God bless America. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, obviously it's in the hymnal. So yeah. you can go oh, yeah. up or, or I was going to mention that if you didn't. Yeah. Oh, Canada is also in the, in the hymnal too. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the older versions. So you see that there is kind of that intersect between faith and uh, national. And I wouldn't say nationalism, but maybe that's too harsh of a word, but you know, it's kind of like that thing where it's like, okay, here's patriotism, here's religion. Some people are like, no, let's keep yeah. that separate. Some people go, well, it comes into play. And I can remember growing up in the church, there used to be when there would be like Senate elections or like kind of right. big major U.S. elections, even like now, like with the president, right. uh, presidential elections, you know, there would be easy that I could open up a church bulletin and there would be an insert and it would be like all the different candidates, what they believe. And then it was like, I think it might've been turning point USA. I think that's who, per- and then they'd yeah. have a check mark by everybody who they would recommend you vote for. Right. Yeah. And usually I think hundred percent, it was always Republican candidates. Yeah. Well, I don't for, think I've from ever turning seen point. It. I think that's pretty expected, <laughs> but, but yeah, but I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, a lot of churches had that experience where either from the pulpit or, um, in distributed material they're you know, they're very much encouraged, you know, this is, this is the candidate for Christians to vote for that kind of thing. And the fact that there's so much disagreement really shows, you know, illustrates once again, the, the breadth of um, experiences people have when it comes to, um, you know, civic religion, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that, that, um, you know, I, I, I used to say that um, the, one of the big threats facing, um, the, the American church in general is um, not really a great understanding of, of scripture and what scripture is. And that's a whole other podcast topic, but mm-hmm. I, I've lately I've been thinking, you know what, I, I think it's actually 
bigger than that. It's not necessarily just biblical interpretation. I think it's not totally understanding church history, um, not, not really being aware of the ins and outs and, um, you know, tracking from the church from Pentecost, if you, if you want, um, all the way up to uh, the, the church that um, any given Christian is a part of. Mm-hmm. Because you can see all throughout church history, even very early on, even in the Bible, even in the book of Acts, you have the intersection of um, civic religion, religion and, um, you know, the state. Um, one of the examples that's been swirling around in my head, you know, I've, as I've been preparing to talk is um, the part where Paul asserts the fact that he is a, a Roman citizen mm-hmm. um, in, in the book of Acts. And um, I, I'm not sure I've ever heard a sermon on that specifically, but I, I feel like that's just a perfect opportunity for, for any given Christian to, you know, look at, okay, there's Paul, his loyalty is to the church. First and foremost, it's a Christ, you know, he would say, mm-hmm. but then he, he, he thinks it's a good idea to invoke the, the fact that he's, he's a Roman citizen. You know, does it, does that mean he has a loyalty to Rome? Like, well, if we know the whole story of Paul, <laughs> he ends up, mm-hmm. you know, being imprisoned, you know, and so how high of a view could he possibly have of Rome? But I just think that's a really great example. That's been mostly untapped in my experience as a way to understand how religion intersects with, intersects with your uh, citizenship yeah and and i think that's great because again like i'm with you i don't think i've ever heard anybody preach a sermon on that yeah or if they do they kind of skim over the whole paul invoking his roman citizenship and right. kind of using that as a uh, power play in some ways yes to be able to um you know, to be able to use it for his advantage. Right. Um, but I, I also think that when it, I think kind of where, you know, we talk a little bit about civic religion and how sometimes those things can actually work well together. Um, I remember I had a debate with um, a former staff member, Ryan Garns, which we know, mm-hmm. we both know Ryan, we yeah. both worked with him. And I can remember, this might've been years, it might've been like episode 50 on my podcast, <laughs> but I remember talking about politics and saying, you know, and I made the statement that, you know, the church shouldn't be involved in politics. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely kind of confronted me about it and goes, well, oh, yeah. why not? Like, I think as Christians, we should be part of the political process. And my whole point was, you know, sometimes it can get toxic when you have mm-hmm. that interweaving of religion and politics, faith and citizenship. Um, I think there's a reason why, um, when we look at our First Amendment, you know, there has to be that freedom of religion. I think from a state view, you don't want one certain denomination or one certain religious institution to kind of have rule over the whole entire mm-hmm. country. I mean, that was the that was the main issue that they had with England. Um, that's yes. the main issue we see overseas with Europe, where you know whoever was the ruler their religion was invoked on. So whether they're Protestant or Catholic, and if you weren't, if you were Protestant and the King was Protestant, yay. If the King was Catholic and you're Protestant, um, yeah, there's going to be some hardships for you. Um, So especially when it comes to church life, one of the things that I have seen I think growing up in the church that I've seen little bits of like almost like breadcrumbs. And now I think even in today's culture where we see almost like a smorgasbord is that if you have a certain political stance on a certain topic and you are a Christian, sometimes you can be criticized, ostracized, or even sometimes you can even be blatantly people could basically say, well, you're not a Christian. Right. And, yeah. um, Recently, like two episodes ago on my podcast, episode 99, I taught, read this article in Jen. Oh, I can't remember the article, Jen Medium. And it was talking about how evangelical women were not only leaving the conservative Republican Party, or they said they're mm-hmm. abandoning Trump, but they're also leaving their churches as well. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I think this is kind of like almost like, you know, where I see that that's kind of a big issue. And I think that's kind of a bigger issue now than I think it was when I was growing up as a kid. Right. Yeah. You know, I think when it comes to issues of church unity versus the church getting political, um, you know, I think generally when it, when it comes to Christian unity, um, we, we, I think we have 
two sides, sides of a coin there. And, you know, th- there's a few Jesus quotes that come to mind when I think about politics and, and religion. And, you know, he says, you know, unless you, what does he say? Unless you hate father and brother and mother, you know, you have, you have no part with me or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, I haven't come not to bring, pre- bring peace, but a sword. Um, I, I think these are the pieces where we shouldn't really, if, if we're really following in the, in the footsteps of Jesus and doing what I think the church is called to do, we probably are going to expect there to be some uh, conflict um, because um, I happen to agree with Ryan Garns that I think, I think what the church is supposed to be is inherently, not fully, but inherently political in part. Um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe some listeners really don't want to hear that at all. Um, but I guess I'm kind of revealing a little of where I stand with that, but I, <laughs> I, um, the, the way I read the gospel now, I can't, I can't unsee, um, the, the pieces where he is specifically, you know, being critical of, uh, the Pharisees that that's, that's the one we're m- most familiar with, but you also have him being critical of the, uh, temple leaders. And then also, you know, the Roman government, mm-hmm. um, how, how can it be the case that Jesus is actually very political then, and we're supposed to be totally non-political today? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, and and I, I know the argument right after that is often, um, well, how can you possibly compare, you know, the Roman Empire with with the United States? And um, I guess I have some thoughts on that too. Um, I think <laughs> I think. Like this shouldn't th- this this statement here I think should not be controversial. I think the the church is supposed to be the number one ally to to the poor. You know that's like that's that's easy. You know, and w- when it comes to how to live that out, obviously then people start disagreeing with that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But um, where I think people who people who really love the idea of separation of church and state. I think oftentimes when they're when they're living that out in their in their ideal life in their thought life, they don't actually really know how to separate their their religion from their their politics. Because I think a lot of people are trying to find a way to be involved in the political process, and like they want to be able to explain their whole idea of how everything should work in this, in their city and their state and their country, you know, as if they're running for president. And they also want to say that, you know, that just fits perfectly with, you know, with, with the church's mission as well. And I think, I think Jesus never calls us to do that. I don't think Jesus called his 12 disciples to um, come up with ideas for how exactly to reform the Roman empire and how exactly to reform the temple cult of the time. I think he, he, instructed them to just be champions for the poor, champions for the poor and oppressed. And what the metaphor that I like lately that's been swirling around in my mind is I think Christians should be lobbyists for the poor and oppressed. You know, lobbyists are, are, are those who go to government officials and say, these are my interests. I want to do whatever I can so that these interests are fulfilled. You know, so there's, there's the, you know, big oil lobby. They want to try to make it so they can sell oil as much as they can with as few uh, regulations as possible, um, as few taxes as possible. You know, they don't, they don't care how that ends up affecting the government as a whole. They just want to make sure that their interests are taken care of. And so I think Christians are supposed to be lobbyists for the poor where we don't, we don't necessarily have to come up with, you know, the national budget for how the poor are taken care of. We're just supposed to be the ones always knocking on the door saying, hey, what about the poor? Hey, what about the poor? You know, how, mm-hmm. how are the poor going to be taken care of? We don't have to be the ones that come up with, you know, the, the budget or we don't have to be the ones that come up with the policies. Maybe some of us will. Maybe some of us are actually good lawyers and can come up with policy. But I think the church as a whole needs to get back to its roots of being champions for the poor and oppressed and just being a voice for them. Yeah. And, and I would agree with you. I would say that, you know, for me, you know, with, when I think about my ministry and kind of the goals that I want to see within myself, within my family, when it comes and within my church, when it comes to faith is like, are we, are we being kingdom people? You know, yes. are we living out the ethics and the um, rule and the teachings of the kingdom of God? Cause again, that's what right. Jesus came to proclaim was, you know, that the kingdom is here. Yeah. Um, 
And Absolutely. I think, and I think that's kind of where, you know, when we talk about the separation of church and state, you know, I think that's where that does get a little dicey. Cause even, even, even if as much as I want to kind of say, Oh no, you know, everything's separate. <laughs> I'm sure there's times where there are some things that intersect. And even when yeah. you talk about, you bring up a good point about talking about, you know, mostly most everyone would say, well, helping the poor, you know, that should be the first thing that the uh, church should kind of be champions or, or lobbyists mm-hmm. for It's just yeah. when you talk about policy and procedures and how you actually achieve that, those are two different things, you know, for someone like, I mean, I think about, you know, one of my buddies who's in Florida who does a lot of gardening and does a lot of different splicing and trying to teach, you know, teach people how to do agriculture and train them for missionaries to go overseas. Yeah. Yeah. We we have a mutual (laughs) friend, you know, and that's his way of helping the poor. And then I can think yeah. about my dad, who's a CFO of a, of a steel equipment supplier yeah. and how, you know, for him, it's like, you know, even though he could be making, you know, good money doing being a CFO of that and having um, projects, you know, for him, it's like, well, with that money, you know, I invest it in certain ministries. I invest it into things, you know, it's not like I'm going to, I have all this money, so I'm going to hoard it and then just kind of build up my portfolio it's more of hey i you know it's almost like i have this i have these opportunities i have these gifts and these skills that i can help people through financial beings or to help support certain ministries to be able to help those who are poor or impoverished so and i mean and that's the thing and i think kind of the big thing too when it comes to that idea of where we can get into disagreements is like, you know, sometimes I think it's interesting how some people would say, well, if they took a political test and they said, okay, how would Jesus respond to these answers? I think most of them would be shocked on where they would fall up. I remember high school, I had to do it. I had to do two tests, one for me and figure out where I lined up and one on a historical figure. Yeah. And I remember I did mine on Jesus. Yeah. And I think at the time I was kind of moderate leaning towards the right. Sure. And when I did Jesus, he was more kind of moderate, more on the left side. And it was like, oh, okay. Um, So, and I mean, I know sometimes people go, oh yeah, well, if Jesus was alive, he'd be a Democrat. It's like, well, (laughs) at least when I took this back in the nineties, that wasn't entirely true, but he was leading a little bit more because again, a lot of people on the left care about programs, helping people doing this, doing that big government, you know, so that they can help people. I mean, and I get all that. Uh, The one thing that I think kind of boggles my mind sometimes, and maybe this is something, maybe I'm going to get a flaming arrow in my chest after this (laughs) comment, but I can remember having a conversation with someone who, when they took one of those tests, they're all the way, almost kind of like all the way over to the left, as liberal as Mm -hmm. you could be. Yeah. But because of like one issue. Yeah. They vote. On the other side. They vote on the other side, which I think for me, I think sometimes I have a hard time with that. It's like if I was doing, if I was dating, which a good thing I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) But if I was, if I had like an eHarmony profile and I matched with someone and out of, and out of the 10 things I matched nine out of the 10, I don't say, Oh, there's that one thing I don't match with. I'm not going to, you know, we won't do that. But yet when it comes to our politics and our belief, especially when that intersection between our political beliefs and our faith beliefs, sometimes we do see that because of one issue, right. We're all the way over on the other side. Right. I I have a hunch of what issue you might be talking about that (laughs) made the person vote on the right. Um, and I don't necessarily want to um, come down with judgment on that yeah. specific topic. I, we're talking about abortion, obviously. Yes. Um, and I think uh, abortion, I think, is a actually a pretty pretty good um, illustration for the kind of, um, I guess, unawareness of how our idea of what the state is. Um, and what our religion is, how people aren't able to, to, to extract those two apart. Um, because the main, I think there's, there's, I, th- I think generally, um, you know, 
it's probably the case that most Christians would say, yeah, we want abortions to decrease. But one of the sticking points is, um, you know, what, how are we going to achieve that? And um, for many, that's, you know, making, making it illegal. And right there, that word illegal, you know, that, that, is a, that is a state-related word. That is a civic-related word when we're talking about, you know, laws, because the church doesn't have power to make laws. So in doing some, somebody who is, who is voting in um, voting to be anti-abortion is um, usually voting so that the state is going to make laws against it, you know? So you're, you're using, um, you're, you're using civic religion, um, like both, you know, together at, at the same time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, you know, the other side of the debate, which I think is, um, I feel like only more recently do I hear more about it is uh, the, a different way to make, to um, change levels of abortions is, you know, making, making contraception, you know, more, you know, easier to get, easier to acquire and that kind of thing, or, you know, investing in, you know, communities. And that's, um, I think that's the result of uh, kind of a rising left in, in our country. But um, th- that also is, uh, has to do with, you know, the government, the government and the state taking action. It's about, you know, the government taking taxes from people and using the taxes to, you know, redistribute that money elsewhere. And so I think a lot of, a lot of uh, abortion activists in the church, um, one way or the other, um, don't really realize that they are only thinking in terms of how the government relates to abortion. They're not really thinking about how um, the church itself actually is um, relating to abortion. And um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have considered the idea of, you know, like the church should be more willing to adopt or something like that, or the church should be willing to sponsor um, mothers who find themselves in a place where they feel like they have a hard decision to make. But most of the time, the abortion debate is talked about in terms of what is the government going to do about it? Are they going to make it illegal or are they going to invest money so that they go down in a different way? Yeah. And I know when my when my wife was going to school to do law and become an attorney, you know, mm-hmm. looking at Supreme Court law, you know, yeah. obviously we have Roe versus Wade, but then there is mm-hmm. also another, and I can't think of the court case, but there is one where the Supreme Court kind of they could have went all the way back to basically completely, you know, undo everything that was mm-hmm. put into place with Rovers way, but they never Yeah, that was did. recent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think kind of the big thing with that is, you know, when we look at that topic of abortion, I'm sure most of us who are Christians, most, I think even most of us who may be just human beings not that there's people who are not human beings out there sure. in the world that look like human beings. But I mean, I mean, if you were to say, do you support killing children? More people would say, absolutely not. I mean, I don't think that's I, I the debate. So. Um, yeah, I hope so too. Um, I can remember being at being again, being at Anderson and watching a video where a doctor was talking about the whole process of abortion, what, what all that entails, everything oh, wow. else. And one of the things he said is, and this is, this was also a guy who was a Christian. Yeah. And one of the things that I thought was shocking, because again, he's basically building a case, basically saying we should make abortion illegal. Like, sure. Yeah. Okay. At the end, he says that he doesn't want it to become illegal. And of course, you know, there's people in the class who like, <gasps> like that like yeah. audible gasp. <laughs> audible gasp. And the thing, and the reason why he said he, that he said, because the reason why I'm the reason why I don't want it to be illegal is because I know what it is on the other side mm-hmm. where yeah. if someone wants to abort their baby and there's no doctors and it's completely outlawed illegal, if someone yeah. wants to abort their baby, they're going to do it. They're probably going to do it themselves by unsanitary means. And it could definitely put, the mother at risk. And I think when you think about life in general, you know, I would think that in those regards that, you know, I would want the child to survive as much as I would want the mother to survive as well. Um, And I think that's where sometimes when we get to certain political issues and how they intersect with faith, I think a lot of times we want to try to make it as clear cut and easy as possible 
and yeah. not really look that there's a lot more layers and a lot more intricacies that happen. And you Absolutely. even mentioned it yourself, like, you know, as a church, you know, we want, we want the government to do something about it, but right. what is the church going to do about exactly. it? Exactly. And I think, and I mean, even when the whole, with the whole Planned Parenthood thing and how mm-hmm. certain states were defunding Planned Parenthood, I can remember one pastor goes, okay, church, what are you going to do? Are you going to offer pregnancy resources? Are you going to start giving out contraceptives? Are you right. going to start doing all these things that this corporation are, did? Yeah. And, right. and and I think that's kind of the bigger thing. Like, yeah, I mean, if the, and I think, and again, you talk about tax dollars being invested in community because that's the whole thing. But, you know, what are we doing with church funds? What are we doing yes. with the funds that are given to church to kind of help in those regards. I know like within my community here in Stanton, we have like a comfort care women, which is a pregnancy resource center that churches can give to, to kind of help. I mean, we have like a battered women's shelter that we help. Um, But I mean, that's always the big thing, which I think, and I think this is kind of why when it comes to politics, it's never so cut and dry because there's always a little hypocrisy in everything. (laughs) It's like, you know, when we think about on the, you know, if we think about, you know, kind of the Republican side thing, the stereotypical view is they don't want abortions. So then you have to, so this woman has to have the child, but then they're not going to offer anything to kind of help this woman raise this child, give it clothes, give it shelter, give it food. Where then you look over on the other side, it's like, well, the, the Democrats, they're for abortion. So, but then they're also going to give you a lot of supplements and want to make decisions and policies, a lot of supplements to help you be able to put a roof over your child's head sure. that you decide that you're going to eliminate anyway. In theory. <laughs> In theory. Yeah. Again, this is all theory. This isn't. Yeah. So when you think about that, it's like, well, whoa, that's kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's or, a lot of nuance and there. I mean, and I mean, we can even, we, I mean, we could spend all day talking about every single issue. I mean, even right. when you think about the death penalty, you know, should criminals who commit crimes, should they get the death penalty? Well, you know, some people would say yes, but at the same time, how many people do we have on death row that were committed or had were charged with crimes where they didn't have DNA evidence and you right, find out yeah. later like, oh, they were wrongly accused or we were right. able to test some of this cold case and we found out that, oh, this person that we have rotting away in jail for 40 years actually didn't do yeah. it. It's and, pretty horrific, right? So, you know, stuff like that. So it's like, well, is it an issue of death penalty penalty, or not having death penalty? Or is it an issue of trying to make sure we have more a reform within our criminal system? Right. And, how, and then, you know, again, and when you think about things, I even remember how the teacher who was alive when Ted Bundy was alive. <laughs> and she remembered she was against the death penalty, 100%. That's how yeah. she voted. And then she saw an interview with Ted Bundy and he was just talking about how he found Jesus and went to church and, you know, and everything else. And she just could tell by the way he was smirking by his body language. She goes, you know, even though I was against the death penalty, I definitely (laughs) want that guy to die. (laughs) Like kind of like, Oh wow. Like, you know, so I mean, and there is, there's a lot of intricacies and it's not every cut and dry, but I think as, Human beings, I'm just going to say human beings, I don't think it's an American problem. I think it's a human problem where we want to try to make things simple. If oh, we can sure. simplify Absolutely. everything, then it makes it a little bit more easier for me when I have to vote for somebody for the things that I think is going to best represent my beliefs and my values. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a, a really big topic I do want to, I'm, I'm not sure how long these are, Scott. I have no idea. Well, you know, we just keep forever. going. We just keep going till. <laughs> I mean, if it's five o'clock in the morning, this will be the longest podcast ever I've ever done. But right. we keep going until we have nothing more to talk about, Nick. <laughs> I, <laughs> great. I, I do want to piggyback off of like what, what you're getting at there. I, what, it, it reminds me of... Um, the individualism of the American church, I think is one of the most one is another big threat facing the American church where, um, you know, individualism is, is an American value for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, you, 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 you want to be self-sufficient, you know, you, you, you think for yourself and that kind of thing. And, um, there's, I think there are absolutely positives, um, to that sort of thing, but, um, there's hardly any individualism in, uh, in, in, in the gospels and the way Jesus, in the way Jesus talks about um, 
And the way Jesus talks about the, the actions of uh, the church, you know, he, he sends people out by twos, right? He sends disciples out, disciples out by twos for one. Um, there's, there's a, what, what I think he presents is a very, a vision of a very cohesive body of people who's, you know, living in community all the time. And um, uh, I think you'd be kidding yourself if you'd think that that cohesive body of that early church was not talking about politics. I'm sure they were talking all about politics mm-hmm. um, back in their day, talking about, you know, the, 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 the Jewish temple, talking about the Roman government. Um, once they spread the gospel beyond the Roman empire, I'm sure they talked about, you know, what was going on in, in politics in other, other nations, yeah. um, other places. And so I think as a result, we have many, many American churches um, not wanting to talk about politics at all, which leaves individuals, individual Christians who go to these churches, getting their politics elsewhere, getting their politics from many different, tons of different media organizations, getting it, you know, just from their, their friends, getting it from wherever. And they've never, they've never experienced um, a lively, healthy debate um, within the church about politics in a way that is not toxic and in a way that really looks at the politics of, of scripture. Um, and so I think there are many, many churches where um, that are politically inactive effectively. Mm-hmm. And then you have other churches where the leaders are like, no, I am going to talk about politics. And if you are, if you are a member of this church, this is, but in both, in both cases, um, I think they're often divorced from uh, basically just to wrap that thought up. Um, um, I think, I think the too long didn't read version is I think uh, the church, all, all kinds of churches need to do a better job of um, taking the politics of Jesus seriously. And I think that would help to guide churches as communities in their politics, rather than just a bunch of individuals um, getting their politics from somewhere. And then when they all come to church, they all pretend that they don't have any politics. I think that doesn't do us any favors. Yeah. And I would, and I would, and I, I guess my, I think that's my follow-up question for you, Nick, is do you think that in our culture today where we have so much divisiveness over politics, yeah. do you think that let's say if me as a minister or somebody else as a minister, or even you, when you're doing youth ministry or even mm-hmm. the pastor of the church that you attend, like if they just started going and started doing the politics of Jesus and really started opening it up, do you think that there'd be people who a would be responsive to that and say, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Or do you think people would fight against <laughs> it and go, Hey, no, uh, uh-uh. I, I have to hear this all day on Facebook and on the news. <laughs> I definitely don't want to hear this garbage in the church. Right. Yeah, I think I think you would get both. I think you would. Um, I'm going to say something about uh, the parable of the seeds and the sower. I think that was about I think that was about the politics part. I think that wasn't about whether Jesus died for your sins or not. I think um, I think a lot of I think most people would be very pleased to be good soil to hear, you know, just, you know, look to Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. Um, which, which I do be- happen to believe, by the way. But I think the reason Jesus was so aware that there are going to be people who are strangled by the weeds and there are going to be people who are uh, like rocky soil that can't grow anything, I think it's because much of Jesus's ministry was, was so politics-focused. And there were many people, even in Jesus's day, who were not going to be willing to hear um, Jesus's message, which was, you know, radical caring for the poor and oppressed, um, whatever it took. And, you know, rich people literally giving their money, you know, sharing in all of their possessions and that kind of thing. That's, that, that's why it was so hard for the rich young ruler to, you know, come into the kingdom of heaven. It's because, not because he was sad because he wasn't sure if he wanted to ask Jesus to forgive his sins. I think he was very ready to do that. I think he, he, couldn't feel like he could enter into Jesus's ministry, couldn't enter the kingdom of God because he was scared of how it went against his, his political perspective. Yeah. And even, I mean, that's, that's one way of putting it. Like I never thought about it that way. So that's interesting. That gives me something to chew on. Um, but yeah, I chew mean, it up, Scott. It, <laughs> but, um, but I think kind of the, 
interesting point about that is even when you look at the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who Jesus was always rallying, always in conflict with, because they yeah. weren't going to listen to what he was saying, which is about the kingdom, about the poor. And even the criticism of Jesus where he would say, you know, these were the things that you guys were supposed to be doing. Yeah. And you weren't doing it. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to be looking after the widows and orphans, but right. your, your hands were too busy. You know, your hands were too busy in the purse of yeah. the temple. And then your hands were also in the pockets of Roman officials yeah. uh, who were kind of supporting you and supporting what you were doing. So when right. you look at that, you know, there's even kind of a religion in politics too, as much as, you know, we would like to say no, but I mean, there is, I mean, I mean, all you have to do is go to a board meeting, whether it's an elder board <laughs> meeting or a budget meeting. And you already know that there's church politics already outside oh, yeah. of American politics. So it's just kind of how things are. So when you say that, you know, the politics of Jesus, I would, I would agree with you, even when it came to, you know, obviously I think where most people would kind of really identify with was when it had to do with taxes, you know, whose yeah. face is on this coin. Well then right. give the Caesars who is Caesars, give the God what is God. Jesus wasn't yes. going to say, no, give to God. Don't give to that dirty scoundrel. Right. Uh, Caesar, or he's not going to say, Oh, just give the Caesar and, you know, give God whatever he's saying. No. Yes. Give your, you know, you give your, let's say, let's just use like you give your 10% to God. And then if you have to owe <laughs> right. Caesar 20%, well, that's what out of your paycheck, you're out 30%. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, Ooh, how can I keep more money in? It's like, right. no, if you have to give money to Caesar, you give it to the government and then you also got to give it to God. And that's the way it is because yes. Jesus Christ said so. So, um, <laughs> I yeah, think, so, um, go ahead. Yeah, I will go ahead. Um, I, I think um, this is a little bit of missiology. I, I said earlier, my background is uh, my, I got a missions degree. Um, something that I don't, a characteristic of the, of the early church that I think most people don't even notice is that I think the early church um, and Jesus's ministry before, you know, before the church was very shrewd, very pragmatic in trying to get done what it wanted to get done. Um, and I think that's kind of at odds with how a lot of Christians view Christianity and the church. Um, they, I think a lot of Christians, even if they don't, they don't like this term, I think they still are very seeker sensitive. Um, mm. And w which is the, the term that, you know, you, you have to seem like a very attractive um, individual um, and your church has to seem like an attractive institution so that people will want to come. Anyone and everyone will want to come and be a part of your church and to get to know you so that then you can share the gospel with them. Um, but I think we, that's not really what I read when I read the gospels. And when I, when I read about the early church, I, I see a, a shrewd practical church that knows it knows that many people are not going to want to be a part of that. Um, and that I, I mentioned the parable of the sower. Um, I also mentioned the people going out two by two, you know, Jesus tells them, shake the dust off, off your feet. If, if they don't, you know, if they don't care to, you know, listen to what you have to say there, Jesus knew right away that there were going to be many people who are not interested. You know, when, when Jesus says, you know, the church is the salt of the earth, you know, your whole meal isn't salt. You know, Jesus was basically saying he knows the church is going to be limited to just a little, a little seasoning that's going to be, to be spread, sprinkled and spread throughout the earth. He knows that his church is probably not going to gain these, these huge, huge numbers throughout the world. And, you know, despite the fact that Christianity is still probably, is it, is it still uh, the biggest religion percentage-wise for self-declared religion? It probably so. is. Um, but, you know, there's, I think people on a, all sides of the political spectrum probably think, oh, but they're not all real Christians, you know, in, in, in their own different, in their own, you know, in their own ways, um, probably conflicting on who, who's real and who's not, so to speak. But um, getting back to the idea of shrewdness, I think, you know, Jesus was just very aware that not everybody was going to like his message. And, but, and he told us the kinds of people who, who are not going to like his message. And that's, that's the rich, the powerful um, the, the rich and powerful people, um, the, the people who, you know, it's, in the, you know, they can't, you can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle in, in the same way. Yeah. And, and I, and I think back to John's gospel where I think it's John 10, where Jesus is talking about, 
you know, I, unless I tell you the truth, if you do not eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, oh, you will have that's no a part great of example. me. And, and, you know, there's people who, and it says that people started walking away from yes, Jesus. It says like they it. started leaving. And then exactly. he turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave goes, me? Are you going to leave too? <laughs> like, I mean, just basically, I mean, man, that's a message where everyone's just getting up and leaving. And right. of course, Peter says, where else can we go? You're the one who has, yes. you know, you're the one who has eternal life. And so how did we get to this place where Christians feel like they have to be everything to everybody to try to do everything they can so that they can get as many people as possible, you know, to pray, to pray the prayer of faith. You know, it's, I, I just think that these two messages, I think they, 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 they could go together in theory, but um, I think in reality, if, if you're trying to do both of those things, if you're trying to radically care for the poor in a way that's going to make um, the powerful and the rich angry, then like by definition, you're not, you're not actually going to be reaching everybody because there's going to be some people majorly turned off by your message. And and Jesus knew that. And, and I think, I think kind of the big thing when it comes to, you know, the idea of attractional churches, I think the big thing is, is it, I think, you know, again, who are the people who were opposed to Jesus message? Well, you know, the rich and the powerful. Well, when you come to, um, you know, again, when you go to like, kind of like, even when you think about like, um, and maybe here's a good example. You think about Willow Creek, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, the type of people who went to Willow Creek were, I mean, Betsy DeVos went to Willow Creek. So you're already talking okay. about people who are rich and powerful. Yeah. Um, even, even to the point where I think I used to get an email almost <laughs> every month about their um, GL, like their, the like summit, their, their summit yeah. that they would always do. Right. I haven't gotten an email ever since the whole <laughs> Bill Heibel scandal. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe, and maybe a lot, and and to be fair, maybe a lot of that's due because of them trying to restructure and them trying to be coded. But there's always is this thing that if you're the bigger you are, you have a whole different structure. And then again, you want to be attractional because then if you can attract the rich and the powerful, right. You can have more money, which means you have more money to do more ministry or more programs to yes. be able to help people, which then brings them into the fold. Yes. And I think kind of where, and sometimes even attractional churches take a lot of liberties with the word of God. And I'm not going to say that every sermon I've heard <laughs> from a big church was, a big pile of garbage. Cause I mean, there's some <laughs> that are pretty good, but you know, sure. there are certain ones where you scratch your head and you go, wow, that is totally not even close to actually what that verse means. Sure or, thing, they, yeah. or they, or they build a whole series on what they believe and what they think. And then they just kind of yeah. use a seasoning of scripture to right. kind of prove their points. A little salt like, of the earth from the word of God. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No joke. So, I mean, so when I guess, so, you know, when, again, going back, we're kind of getting off track here, but going back to the whole idea of civic religion, I mean, I mean, I think it's one of those things where you say, again, you know, it is an intersection. It's just how much we as individuals can allow how much of that is going to intersect. How much is that going yeah. to bleed and spill over? You know, if you, I mean, cause I mean, even for myself, it's hard for me to, keep my faith and my politics separate because there are times where they are going to intersect. Yeah. Now, of if, course. but, if there are, but are there certain intersections where they're just like quick four way stops or are they <laughs> somewhere basically there's just a spillover. It's a roundabout and you can just keep spinning and spinning yeah. and spinning around in that circle because it's just a big thing. That's going to cause a lot of congestion. Yeah. Um, I guess that was a bad analogy, but it's the only one that I can come up on the top. <laughs> I love of those roundabouts. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think you know this is me editorializing at this point, like kind of expressing my my perspective. When when it, when it comes to when it comes to poli- how I intersect my church and my and my politics, my, my religion, and my politics is um, you know if when I when I think about any given any given policy or any given candidate, it's you know is is this is this thing or person going to be good news for the poor or, or is it going to be not so good news to the poor? And I, I think we can apply that beyond politics, but um, I think where we, where we stand and I'll, I'll be honest, I think where we stand, a lot of Christians stand today is they, they don't, they're not using that test. They're using a different test. They're, they're 
they're really, their test is more like, you know, is, is this candidate or is this policy going to be, you know, good news for America? You know, that's, I think, and I, I think, I really do think that's off base. Um, obviously America is not the only country in the world. There happens to be at least 14 countries, I think. Um, maybe even more than that. That was, that was a joke, but, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> we got to spend more time together, Scott. So you I can know, know my sense I of know. humor. <laughs> That's okay, Nick. You're like, was he thinking continents? Cause there's not 14 continents. All right. Anyway. Yeah. Like the, you know, the church, you know, ideally the church is, the church is everywhere. Ideally, you know, sprinkled salt, the whole, the whole, every country is salted with Christians. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's some, there's some countries where the, the civic laws are going to be favorable to the poor. And there's some countries where laws are not going to be favorable to the poor. And, um, you know, for, for a very quick and, quick and easy example that will not, you know, make anyone angry, like North Korea, great example of a country where, you know, what they do is bad news for the poor, right? Just, 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 just not good. Um, and I won't even, I won't even, venture to give a country I think that does, does great for the poor because it'll just be too controversial. But no matter how good a Christian or a church thinks their country is at allying with them to, to bring good news to the poor, I think it is the job of the church to always have a little bit of skepticism that someday the powers that be might, might turn and not be such good news for the poor anymore. And the church always has to be ready and, and willing to take a stand and say, this is not good, you know? Even, so so even, even if you, listener, think that America is the best news that the poor has ever had and has the best chance of, you know, sp- spreading the gospel and reaching the poor, you, you have to always be honest with yourself, ready to see a day when perhaps, the, you know, you're your country that you love so much might stop working in the best interests of the poor and oppressed. And that's when you have to be prophetic and that's when you have to stand up for the poor. Yeah. And, and, and I think even for those who may be listening that are maybe in the ministry or they're leaders Mm -hmm. of churches, I think sometimes that's always a very difficult thing. Cause yeah, you want to preach, you know, we need to love the poor. We need to love our neighbors. We need to, you know, we need to love the, you know, we need to, love the widow, the orphan, the foreigner. We need to leave, we need to love them, you know, love yeah. your neighbor as yourself. So then sometimes when that is a core belief in Christianity and all of a sudden that um and then all of a sudden there is maybe it may be your own governor that is making decisions mm-hmm. that is going to that's going to oppress them. Yeah. And then you are going to have to go and proclaim that and proclaim justice and proclaim all that stuff to your congregation. And you go, well, this is probably going to rub some people the wrong way because of where their political affiliations lie. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that's kind of a a big thing to really. So I think that's kind of always a hard thing. So, again, I I always say like what uh, Jim Lyons, our general director, says, you know, you got to be bold. You know, I go back to Micah 6, 8, you know, what is it that the Lord requires of you? Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And if those are the three things that we are required to do from an Mm -hmm. Old Testament perspective, and I think that fits very nicely into loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor ourselves. I think those things intersect nicely. I think in that regard, that is where we as leaders in the church, even we as Christians, that those are the things that we have to always be advocates for. Yes. Um, because even, even, cause even anything else that we may believe politically, whether it's, you know, freedom of religion, whether it's second amendment rights, whether it's um, abortion, whether it's um, big government, small government, um, you know, how do we handle foreign affairs? You know, all yeah. that other stuff is important. But I think the core thing is, you know, as a Christian, what is it that I am required to do? And yeah. are the people that I want to elect to be my governor or to be my mayor or to be my president, are those the same type of values that I see them putting in that? Right. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's not 
overly cynical to to do to do what I said to you know to always be sus- sort of suspicious, always ready mm-hmm. for the government to turn is it, it, because you know ultimately you know any any given country they're they're an institution and institutions even more than people try to survive. You know institutions try to keep themselves going, and so there will be times when. Um, you know, the people who are in power are going to think like we, I need to do this and it might happen to be something that is not so such good news for the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, you know, I, I, uh, a- another thought that's been swirling in my head a lot lately is, um, the idea of, of, of power. I think a lot of people wouldn't be able to, de- to define the word, the word politics. And I'm sure, you know, there'd be a million definitions if you asked a million people, but um, I think it's I think it's not an oversimplification to say that politics is really just stuff having to do with power and how it's distributed. Yeah. And and so w- when you're talking about politics, you're really just talking about power and how it's used. And so when you look at the church and when you look at Jesus and what, what did he have to say about power, you know, is the same thing as saying, what did he have to say about politics? And at every turn, Jesus sides with the poor and he sides with the oppressed and he's looking out for, for their interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, definitely. And I think that's the big thing about power so much is when we look at contrast of what, you know, when we look at the world, I think even in seminary I had to read a book about New Testament culture and lock in New Testament culture. And you looked at the things that were considered, you know, pure and honorable and and what was powerful then and then you have jesus who basically talks about well you want to know what power is power is being a little kid power is being humble power is being is the last being first and the first being last that's power and i think and 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 it goes against the world so much that mentality of you know Again, when you think of the Beatitudes, a lot of the blessed things are people yeah. who are in the who are low, in the least powerful positions, and yet those are the ones who are elevated and called blessed. Right. Not Caesar, not the head, not the high priest, not yeah. you know, not Jeff. <laughs> the, the CEO of Bezos. Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say a weird, I was going to say Bozo, but I know that wasn't correct. <laughs> and I don't want to lose my Amazon prime account because he hears me say this. Wouldn't that be but, something? Um, but yeah, I mean, and I think that's always, and even like when power doesn't necessarily have to be like president, but even just like power being a board member on yes. a um, ministry or, or even, or even a teacher, even a Sunday school teacher, you know, yeah, you can have those types of abuse to power. And I know, you know, I know I'm maybe having this conversation um, in a couple of weeks with with someone who writes curriculum on sex and church and stuff. OK, yeah. Kind of within the um, Unitarian churches and even with the um, Church of Christ mm-hmm. and also grew up Catholic. And so when you think about all that and you think about power and stuff and how that's distributed, I mean, you could look at the Catholic church and just the years of abuse. You could even yes. look just recently with the SBC yes. and that power, or yes. even you could even look even more recent in Liberty university, like getting rid of Jerry Falwell jr. Um, mm-hmm. And really because again, and I don't, I mean, yeah, it's about values and it's about, well, this person's not, representing the values of this institution but really it's like well the reason why but then you also think about well how did he get into that position well because his dad started it his dad was a big big name in evangelical and then you inherit power and i mean it's just like caesar you know caesar once caesar dies who's the next in line you know it's a very hierarchy it's it's about power and jesus basically says power that's not true kingdom power right kingdom power is something totally upside down else. it's upside down the upside down kingdom as yes we, yeah. seminary people would say <laughs> <laughs> right definitely. all right nick is there any other thoughts or any musings that you have before we start wrapping up this podcast well we froze so apparently that's all we can talk about no oh did we because you're still moving. i can't hear you right now Ooh. So maybe that's just going to have to be it. <laughs> okay. Well, Nick, again, thank you so much. Can you hear me now, Scott? I definitely can. You, you froze a little bit, but you're still good on here. Um, okay. But yeah. <laughs> okay. That's okay. But, you know, 
why don't we go ahead and wrap this up? Because who knows what the night will bring. That's good. But Nick, yes. thank you so much for joining me. It's been a very interesting, very educational conversation. And I do believe for those of you who are listening, hopefully you're able to take some something away from this conversation for with Nick and I. And hopefully um, we would like to hear what you think. And again, you can comment either on any of the Podomatic pages. You can comment on my website, thescottstedman.com. You can also send me an email or a message on my Facebook page, the official Scott Stedman podcast page. And again, we'd love to hear from you. Want to know your thoughts, your views, and definitely be dialoguing with you. Um, and again, Nick, thank you again. Thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you have a great evening. You too. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, everybody, you guys have a great night too, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.